Hi, I'm Kyle Goes, and welcome to the Inwards and Onwards podcast. For the longest time, I've been fascinated to understand more about showing up authentically, vulnerably, and presently in life. As such, I started to understand that my external world was a reflection of my inner one. And when I've had moments of hitting rock bottom or needing to pivot in my life, I've had to go inwards to move onwards. So come join me as I explore other people's journeys, from entrepreneurs to coaches, spiritual teachers, friends, and beyond, as we learn their innermost thoughts and peel back the layers to share the moments where they've had to go inwards to move onwards. Let's jump in. Miguel Perino, also goes by Michael, is a close friend of mine whom I found a few years ago. Although we have not shared that much time together, our healing journeys have overlapped on multiple occasions, from shared experiences to sharing experiences together. He is a holistic life and nutrition coach, a mind-body practitioner, and the co-founder of Mindfully Loved. But more than that, he is a grounded, vulnerable, and authentic man whose lived life experiences have led him to do the incredible work he's doing today. In this episode, we peel back layers of trauma, triggers, and imprints we receive from childhood and explore a deep-rooted theme everyone experiences in life, belonging. Come join us as we dive deep into the onion. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Inwards and Onwards podcast. Uh, this is take two for Miguel and myself <laughs> as uh, take one had some technical difficulties and uh, such is the nature of when you're uh, doing a podcast and all the little hacks that you got to learn in between, I guess. Um, so to give uh, this wonderful guest uh, just a, a reintroduction why I've gotten Miguel on the podcast. Uh, I am super excited firstly to have you, Miguel. Um Miguel Michael goes by both names and we'll kind of touch on to that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, super excited to actually have you on the podcast just because of one, the amazing healing journey that you've had for yourself into where you're stepping into now being a, you know, holistic life and nutrition, a nutrition coach. Um, but you know, the journey you've taken to heal yourself and what you continue still to do in terms of healing yourself and doing a lot of that inner, uh, inner work, inner child work, shadow work, whatever you want to call it on yourself so that you can actually show up as best, you know, as the best version of yourself as possible. Um, and I just love, I actually love your story. And I know you've been, you know, on this journey for about eight years. Um, so I thought we could actually kick things off, um, you know, fast, uh, you know, rewind, sorry, fast forward, rewind, uh, eight years, what kind of got you started on this journey of doing, you know, looking inwards to do your healing? Yeah. Um, and brother, thank you so much for, for having <laughs> me on here. Before we kick off, I'm going I'm to do this a second time. I'm not sure how much of this recorded was recorded before, but just to express my gratitude three times over, I don't care how, how many times we have to redo <laughs> this podcast. I'll say it every single time. I'm so grateful to, uh, to be here and I'm so grateful for you doing this podcast. I'm such a big fan of, of, uh, of you doing this. I mean, you are just so natural for this position and I'm so damn grateful to be here. So Thank you um, Man, thank for you. letting me thank do you. that again. <laughs> hey, no, no, thank um, you. It, it sounded just as good the second time around. So I, <laughs> I feel and appreciate the love, man. So I appreciate Beautiful. it. Beautiful. I'm glad I'll keep doing it then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's been a really interesting journey. Yeah, probably, probably eight years, I think, since healing has been a, a serious or active part of my life and, and something I've sort of, um, yeah, actively spoken about, I guess, before that. I'm sure there was many years of of healing in its own way, but um, probably not something that was as evident to me. So, um, yeah. and, and just just actually, I realized when you say healing, 
can you mm. how do you define healing because like like there's you know everyone defines healing and obviously being you're like you know what you're doing now holistic life and nutrition coach it is there's multiple aspects but i was like because healing mm. can mean so many different things um what is it to you Firstly. Yeah, you know, healing, the first thing that comes to our mind is we're injured and uh, healing is the process of licking our wounds after and recovering yeah. and repairing and going through that process. And, uh, you know, I, I think healing begins or, or you know, is, becomes more understandable or yeah, kicks off when we really understand that there is uh, something to heal. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a physical injury, but perhaps um, the, the lifelong condition that requires some healing and uh you know, we all grew up with our different um, environments, perspectives, scenarios of the world, and we all face different, you know, challenges and adversities within our own realm. There's no big or small to me with that respect. Mm. And, uh, and you know, the process of healing to me was understanding that there were things that uh, I needed to address within my own life. Um, that's, uh, you know, I, I think we all we all understand and, you know, um, we'd often joke about the fact that there's something wrong with us, you know, something we all, I think, quite openly speak about. Um, but but the process of healing, I think, really sort of kicks off when you step in and go, hey, uh, that stuff that feels wrong with me might actually have an origin and that origin mm. might actually be something I can address. And yeah. I think that's when the healing process kind of kicked off for me. Yeah, and, and that's kind of looking at it from that uh, more emotional and mental space rather than a physical mm. healing right mm. like what's with what you're referring to because when you're saying the conditioning and things like that you're, you're you're referring that as those kind of beliefs patterns actions that we've taken for so long you know that just become a repetitive nature now to us because that's how we thought women to be but in fact that's actually quite toxic and hurtful to us and that's that yeah. pattern is what we're trying to change when we're talking about doing this healing or in inward journey so to speak yeah Totally. I've, I've, I've uh, played sport my whole life and there's always a level of physical healing that needs to occur. And uh, we're all pretty quick to race off to the, the physiotherapist or to the doctor when those things pop up. But, um, but not so much looking internally. You know, I, I think, um, you know, to, to trace back a little bit further, probably going on, oh, wow, just over 20 years now, um, uh, there was a deeper sort of level of healing journey that kicked off for me that probably wasn't my priority or something I wanted to particularly address. And, and uh, you know, those early teenage years, I think in the process that we all go through of attempting to find ourselves, um, you know, I, I was sort of uh, passed on or recommended to, you know, uh, it, was, it was actually a teacher that, that picked up a, a few self-harming episodes at school and uh, took it upon himself to start some counselling um, that sort of progressed to a school counsellor that eventually progressed to a psychologist. And, um, you know, uh, in, in a weird way, uh, just kicked off a bit of a bit of a pattern for me of wondering what's wrong with me and why mm. why am I different and, yeah. and kind of, I suppose, re actually rejecting that emotional or, or mental sort of healing journey. And, and, um, and even though it was a big part of my life, you know, even for the next 10 or so years moving onwards, it was probably one of the things I was least interested in. Doing. Yeah, I mean, like, no, no. When, when things are that ugly, and especially when you're saying like, like, it does, it doesn't hit on me lightly. But it's like when, when something's so emotionally painful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, emotionally, mentally painful, that it starts manifesting, like you said, into that physical kind of like self harm or infliction and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's not that, that's like that's so um, 
intense to experience something like that or even like you know when we're talking about this i was like i know i, I know where you're at now and why we can talk openly about this right which yeah. is such a beautiful space because you don't you don't you don't get to explore these kind of details normally and people who are going through severe depression uh, um you know and things like that like those kind of negative emotions and impacts they they don't realize that it's like wait you're not you're not alone things can shift and things can move and that's why i love hearing you speak because it's like your journey because yeah your journey of where you've where you've gone to sorry where you are now from where you were is amazing even if it's like you're saying like some of those deep rooted things happened over 20 years ago was it was there a a trigger point for you was there something that kind of that was the the catalyst like what, what like what led to like because i know and i'm putting depression as my label but i mean was there a label you gave to that emotion and if so what was the catalyst yeah it's it's to be honest i mean you know it's crazy this is something i'm still exploring now and um and you know trying to explore if there was perhaps an initial cause because you know to be fair there's a few things i am exploring but nothing I necessarily saw as a real sort of trigger or kickoff point. I know there were exacerbation points, definitely that um, that really sort of uh, yeah ex- exacerbated things to a greater extent. Uh, but initially, you know, it, it's really strange because there wasn't necessarily, for instance, the self harm, not something that was modelled to me or, or something that I was mm. even aware of. I didn't know that was a thing. And again, I, I had these little sort of uh, quirks or sides of me that I just thought were different and things that I would hide from other people. And one of those was uh, self-punishment, you know, and, and I think that stemmed from, uh, you know, a, a lack of self-acceptance for myself at the yeah. time. Like like any teenager entering those years, you know, craving connection, uh, that's what I was looking for. And, and I'm not sure if perhaps just my environment was, you know, um, not as uh, broadly interested in, areas of life, areas of uh, meaning was a big one for me. Uh, it wasn't things that we were talking about in the school grounds. So those were things that I, I thought were, were my own thing. And therefore, yeah. it's something I started to reject because it wasn't helping me form connections within the school grounds. So uh, eventually, you know, there were certain things, thoughts, feelings that would pop up that I'd sort of say, that's not that's not fitting in with the space that I want to be in. And therefore, um, you know, I need to change that and I need to punish it out of me, so to speak, yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And was this like a that 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 piece of like you were saying like that belonging or wanting to fit in is that mm. like we, we've talked about this previously and stuff like you know together and all that stuff uh, around like that people pleasing kind of aspect right like was this tied into you feeling like there was, there was a certain underlying need to people please or was it more a cultural kind of thing that you felt that disconnect to what was like yeah what, yeah. what was the need to belong I guess and right. I guess I, I say that knowing that belonging is a very underlying core nature that everyone <laughs> wants to belong but I mean like what was it for you yeah it's it's a great question it's funny that you mentioned cultural as well um tracking back to you know uh that earlier conversation about Michael or Miguel right yeah um uh from those early years it, it's really strange from those earlier years um particularly even just preceding that so, so this may have played some sort of role in it as well uh I man, like everyone else, I wanted to fit in. And, um, you know, my family uh, uh, quite often, you know, uh, call me Miguel. Miguel is effectively Michael in Spanish and it's my uncle's name and it's a family name and, and uh, it's what I was known as. And, and you know, during those years, you know, my, my sister would sort of 
oh, Miguel, Miguel, you know, call me Miguel and point a finger. And I was just so embarrassed by it because at the end of the day, like I, I still remember I, I, I wanted blonde hair, blue eyes. I wanted that straight yeah. hair. I wanted that Anglo name. And, and, you know, I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be mm. a part of, you know, whatever it was that was occurring around me. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I heavily rejected those sorts of titles. I heavily rejected those sorts of names and, and how I looked and, and, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, I, I, much more tanned when I was younger as well, you know, got made of, made fun of, uh, for that a lot. And, you know, uh, I think we've spoken about that in the past. It's quite funny to hear me say that. It's it's just, it's so interesting for those, like obviously who can't see Miguel, (laughs) Miguel (laughs) is a gorgeous, um, uh, Spanish man. Um, and, uh, why I say this is because like, even just touching on the cultural side of things, I find that so fascinating. Because mm-hmm. I always thought that, like, you know, being Asian and uh, like I'm Pakistani heritage and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, but being Asian in general, you know, Pakistani, Indian, um, Chinese, whatever the case may be, there was always a bigger thing of like us wanting to be lighter skinned and and fit in. Like, and I say it's it's so weird. Like, this is definitely a lot of programming, and uh, that is mm-hmm. another whole conversation I, I love, and I know we can have around about programming and uh, you know Western programming and things like that. But to pause that and come back to what I was saying, I thought this was just more for asian kids that would actually experience this like that need to belong and fit in with crowds like i was really fortunate that my name happened to be kyle goes very Mm. short succinct name i didn't have um you know um uh when when people would see my name on uh, pieces of paper and all they were like oh yeah kyle like you know it'd be it was you know a a very white name in that sense right easy to say easy to explain but it's like I only only understood this like in my later years that people who had different names, right? Um, and this is more like you know Indian names or something like that, right? If they were called um, Raj or um, Arjuna or something like that, that it was a lot more difficult for them because for them it's like that name like became this identity that people would then associate a stigma to those names mm. before they even meet, speak, or see that person. And I've got a lot of friends who've had this similar experiences, but I'd never experienced it for myself completely. Mine was more always like an in-person thing that I always felt like, oh, there's this weird kind of barrier of wanting trying to belong. But it's it was more like that's why I like, yeah, even with what you're saying about like the sports and the activities you pick up to kind of fit into those crowds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just again, I find it just so fascinating because I was like, oh, for you, you are like, like I would consider you a very handsome guy. All this other stuff, not not hitting on you, obviously. Uh, you know, he is happily married <laughs> and all that it's stuff. Fine. Right? Happy. It's fine. I'm happy. Um, but it, it was, yeah, it's, it, it's like, from that perspective, I'm like, yeah, like, it's so interesting that you struggled with that, especially even with the name Miguel and Michael, like, I'm always like, dude, Miguel sounds so fucking amazing. It's exotic. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's unique, you know, uh, over Michael and all that. Not, not to say anything's wrong with either or, but I mean like, oh, it's just, yeah. So let's go back into what made you kind of lean towards, um, yeah, that, that belonging a little bit more and even your name switching it over to the mix yeah it's 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 interesting because you know i think fast forward not even you know seven eight years i, I was looking to try and get my name changed by depol to miguel oh, you know no it wow. became a point of difference and and <laughs> you know this this weird sort of late teenage year type thing where you're you know you're trying to form an identity but you're trying to connect within particular areas but you're trying to form a point of difference as well i think that was yeah. a real time of conflict for me but uh but yeah you know it, it, even uh you know i i was made to go to Spanish school when I was younger. Oh God, I resisted so much. I hated it at that point of difference. I didn't want, and then, you know, 17, 18, I'm like, mom, I want to go back to Spanish school. So that's conflicted was a, is a good word, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, certainly, certainly, you know, and, and we've spoken about this prior, 
um, uh, I, I wanted to find ways, I guess, to compartmentalize areas of my life that I thought didn't quite gel or blend in with, uh, with you know, the, my environment. Um, wanting to fit in and and you know I consider myself adaptable in that sense and a bit of a chameleon because I, I could you know just about socialize with anyone in in the school even though socializing was something that was difficult for me in in order you know to, to socialize I'd step into that people pleasing mode and at the end of the day I wanted to give them something mm. that I wasn't necessarily giving myself and that was a wholehearted acceptance so you know whatever it was they were interested in I'd open my interest to that and express interest in that and I was so broadly interested in life in general that I could sort of step into each of those spaces, but I wanted to keep them particularly separate. So I still yeah. fit in particular groups, if that makes sense. It was a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very long, odd journey with people pleasing um, that, yeah. that was all about, you know, giving something to other people that I couldn't quite give myself in a level of acceptance. Yeah, man. And, and I, even just what you're saying, like, I feel like in our teenage years, those are such challenging periods of finding your identity and your belonging you know mm-hmm. um and when you then add in cultural influence and 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 different groups and uh, your environmental factors your 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 own family upbringing um like it all these different factors play into it so much because like it's so funny that you said that my upbringing within school was very similar in the sense of like i was like i'd play sports and all this stuff but i'd also play mm-hmm. chess i was uh, very active but i would uh, you know in in this and i was like you know a bit of a teacher's pet possibly as well yeah. um but at the same time i would like uh, you know i was the head of the debating team and things like that like all these like it was a weird mix and i had such so many silos but i always found it funny that i would always that people pleasing nature for me was so like when i look back on this now it was just so I can I can actually visualize and go like oh wow that's why I was like never I never had like when I was really young uh, in like high school and stuff I was like I was I struggled with getting a group of friends and all because I was like oh no but I'm like interested in this and I want to be seen like this and mm-hmm. I, it was like that visual appearance kind of thing uh, I say visual like it's in like how society would judge me kind of appearance that used to play such a big impact and I, I feel like that affects so many people as well because you're like you're, you're stuck and this is why I think we everyone has these like weird issues now because it's like they when you're younger you're not taught that it's okay completely to be unique you know you, you kind of taught that it's like fit within yeah. the mold fit within the system and 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 don't stand out too much you know like at least for me you know so that's why i was like and the like at that time for me it was definitely pulled into that direction of um um you know being more sporty athletic and all because that was what got attention from people you know mm. in that kind of environment it's yeah. it's really interesting and I, you know we, we won't get into you know how i think the school system really plays into <laughs> that dynamic of quietening down finding you know your space and not making too much noise within your space i think i think that was uh um that was something long inherited in me and passed through me in order to Mm. you know uh, be quiet and find your space find your role and you know um for me it became easier to just find my roles within particular groups and um and yeah uh you know but you know, it's it's in, it's interesting how your experience through that was never quite settling into a space to form strong enough bonds. So you know, yeah. uh, you had a bit of experience in every area, and you had, uh, you know, a, a, you know, you, you do you develop a wide range of friends over different aspects. But yeah, you know, s- sport yeah. and exercise for me was always a point of control. You know, it's, it's yeah. something that um, I, I think I think from the physical side of things, it's something that I always had some level of control in. And even to this point now, it doesn't matter what's crumbling around me and what's going on and, and you know, earthquakes and the world falling apart. But as long as I could get to the gym, you know, it's a point of control for me and it helped sort of create stability. And that's something I that's think it. through my teenage years that was always a constant. And, it, and it's 
so, it's nice so you, to have a little space like that. Mm. So you use like so like and I was the, what I was going to lead into was like was the things that helped change or helped you starting to shift into this because obviously like that's intense trauma that you've gone through in younger years especially then you got like I said as you were trying to figure out and find your identity and things and where you kind of fit into the grander scheme of like the world um what were you doing that actually helped anchor you and you know keep your head afloat was there things that you were doing then or has this been a journey up until now that you're now starting to uncover a lot more um what's been that experience yeah, it's it's strange up until I think, you know, my early 20s, I really, I really struggled to find a place. And a lot of that ended up just resulting in me coasting along, you know, uh, yeah. I don't think I ever really applied myself to anything. I, I don't I don't think I'm, uh, you know, um, I, I, intelligence was always a, a really big thing for me. And, and always, a, you know, something that sort of stemmed through my family, I thought I needed to be more intelligent than what I was. And mm. perhaps for that reason, may not have applied myself really where it mattered. And, and you know, there's, there's still elements of that sort of perfectionism that pop up today. If, if I'm not, if you're not perfect the first time, why even step into yeah, it? Yeah. I think I lost yeah. a lot of motivation through that. But, um, you know, strangely enough, I, I attribute a lot of that, um, you know, I won't say really keeping myself afloat until but it was it was basketball that sort of maintained that through my teenage years. But but afterwards, I think after the age of eighteen, when that stopped, um, you know, I really sort of struggled through my first couple of years at uni. Failed, got myself kicked out even, and uh, and it was just through lack of effort, lack of trying, and and hit a real um, low point then again, um, which sort of bookmarked the end of of that sort of chapter of I, I, I suppose calling myself a victim. Mm. Um, before I, I, I think for the first time, I actually put myself out there to some little extent, applied for this course in alternative therapies in myotherapy, um, always wanted to be a physio, but, but this was something that appealed to me in a different way because it, it added a, a, a different element that was outside of just the physical. And, and that was something that was always, um, something, a point of interest to me. And I put myself out there to get that and succeeded. And I think that was the first point of difference in going, Hey, maybe I can, maybe I can make something of this. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, it became a, a bit of a social, um, I became a bit of a social being after that point. I think I just found a level of confidence that helped me sort of progress to the next point. And it, that in itself had its own destructive, um, impact on me. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, it, it led into finding, you know, socializing through drinking, th- socializing through substance yeah, abuse and, okay. and those sorts okay. of things. And I think that opened up the next chapter, but, um, but yeah, you know, it, it was definitely, it was this weird sort of false confidence period of my life that that kept me afloat. But, you know, again, only lasts a particular amount of time before that gets found out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, even yeah, even just as you're talking about that, I was like, yeah, man, it's it's so funny that it's just a natural way of when we socialize and all that. It's like the, the link I find of drinking, I used to always find it so hard when people would drink um and then they would be a different version of themselves and that was like they were like oh yeah no no that's not the real me or or maybe there'll be a they would drink and get like you know really drunk and all that stuff and then they would actually i felt like that's when people started like the all those layers all the kind of mental blocks and barriers would really kind of unravel and it was something that um what i say unravel it was something that for me i would always try to be like i wanted to be like whether i'm drunk or i'm normal i'm the same energy and people see Mm -hmm. and experience the same energy you know because i was like i don't want to feel like i have to hide who I am or what I am. And then when I drink, that's when it comes out, you know, like the real meal that, the, you know, that, that kind of level. And it's, yeah, very, very interesting that you're saying that your um, experience of socializing and all that stuff was coming out with the heavy drinking and all that. And that could, I'm just curious, was that, do you feel like it was actually tied with the real you 
at all? With like that's what kind of came out when you were drinking and stuff, or was it more? Um, was it something different? Yeah, I still find it really fascinating. Everyone's individual um, uh, impact from from substances like like drinking, like alcohol and, and and drugs and things like that, because everyone everyone has quite a different response to it. My particular response, I think, it did take an edge off. It did take a little layer off, and you know, it was numbing in a lot of ways. Mm. But it took that little edge off where um, there was just that little bit more confidence in a social setting, not to overthink things in the back of my head and and let a few things go. And it also created a bit of an identity. Um, you know, the, the, the social circle I started hanging out with, which I sort of considered, I, I guess, a little bit cooler and something, you know, I wanted to tie myself to because that was an identity to form, um, you know, would, would often go out and drink. And if I was always there, you know, doing that, then, you know, people people sort of had a, a need for me or a reliance on me. So I think being out there, being in that setting, being needed and then being able to disengage or switch off um, in those moments and just sort of be a little bit I think was was a point of difference and the the evolution of that into something a little bit further a little bit harder in 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 substances I think was also strangely enough an ability to um, when people sort of get towards the end of a night and they've had a a big night they might start to open up a little bit more vulnerabilities Mm. might start to come out and you know hey you know little (laughs) sensitive Michael all of a sudden had a bit more of a space and a platform to confidently talk to someone about their feelings and you know yeah. if i had to wait till 3 a.m and drink a lot of drinks to get to that point then that's what i was willing to do because i thought that was you know some form of real deeper down connection strangely yeah, enough wow, wow. Mm-hmm. so seeking connection through like yeah getting to mm-hmm. the most the easiest way you found was getting to that vulnerable point was like 3 a.m when yeah. people are like heavy yeah i wow. still know a lot of you know particularly a lot of men um you know who who you know drink drink you know to numb but but once you get them to that point once they're at that point you know closer to midnight or they've, they've knocked a few down it's amazing what comes out and how much of it you know is is um is the truth at that point how much of it is just you know the the alcohol talking whatever it is yeah, but yeah. Th- there's a level of vulnerability that they sort of forget about at that point uh mate this leads into that question i guess like as men why do you think that for us to become vulnerable, we have to, you know, hit the end of the bottle or, you know, uh, drugs, whatever the case may be. Why do you think that, you know, it takes so many things or so, so many um, substances, so to speak, before we can become vulnerable? Yeah, and, and I, I guess, you know, this can be really individual based on um, everyone's experience growing up. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say I had a, um, you know, typical sort of shut off father. He was one to show, you know, emotion when the time was sort of right. Um, but perhaps, uh, uh, but perhaps, you know, there was still this general broad message for me anyway. And I, I know for a lot of men that I speak to this broad message that, you know, um, being vulnerable, showing emotion, crying, uh, wasn't a manly thing to do. You know, I, we yeah. all know that expression, man up, you know, boys don't cry and all that sort of stuff. And um, and that definitely stuck with me, resonated with me. And, and, you know, hey, if we want to talk about that big sort of fracture within me that stemmed, you know, in those earlier years, a lot of that was the fact that I was sensitive. I cried about things. I read, I read poetry and those things <laughs> just didn't fit the traditional masculine image that I'd been you know, I grew up yeah. sort of um, idolizing or had been taught about or was what I saw in the movies or, you know, were examples led through my family, you know, um, that that wasn't the model. So, you know, it's, it's 
again, it, it's it's um, it's really ironic that it comes out when we're drinking because you know what happens at that point we we switch off that little bit of an edge we switch off that inner voice that says this isn't something you should express but generally when you've had a big night of drinking those things a, a bit of truth comes out and a bit of honest expression comes out and it just you know all that did for me was reaffirm the fact that hey believe it or not men do have just as much emotion as some, yeah. <laughs> as anyone else we are human beings and that's a natural part of us it's it's a shame it takes to that point for us to go it's okay it's Talk. okay it, what, what, what what's sad though is that like you said like you 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 related it to your your dad and your upbringing it majority of upbringing even for me you know with my parents and all this stuff it was like yeah like i remember i, I have a distinct memory when i was young and mind you when i'm replaying this memory I know now that I was like, my mom didn't mean like, you know, what, what I'll, I'll share the story, but it's like, I understand the meaning now behind what my mom was saying or communicating. But I just remember like at one time I was crying and I was young and my mom was just like, stop it, stop crying. Don't be your boy or something to that effect. And from then it just like, it flicked. Right. And I was like, don't cry. Yeah. It is, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not healthy for you to cry. It's healthy for you not to cry because you know, if your mom is telling you this, like who's, you know, one of my core pillars when I was younger, like that's, that's truth. Now I've spoken to my mom about this and I've kind of recalled this now. She has no memory obviously of this, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, mm -hmm. even her is going like, Oh, stop crying. She was like, no, like, like she, she just, it doesn't make sense. Cause she's like, Oh, but when we've explored that, it's like her understanding would have just been like, maybe I was just overly emotional that day or something like that. And she was exhausted or tensed or whatever yeah. the case would be. And was just like, hey, stop crying. Right. And she could have said it in the softest, gentlest voice. But my understanding and like what I freaking took from that interaction was like, don't cry. Men don't cry. This is, a, you know, a, a, improper. It's if you want to be a, a, a good boy and all that, you wouldn't cry. Um, and that was so interesting because it's like, yeah. And, and, and the sad thing was um, my... Um, uh, role models in, in men at the time as well. None of them cried. Like, like they were very stoic, you know, um, uh, Asian men, <laughs> like, you know, like um, in the sense of like, they didn't, they, they, they smoked, they, they smoked cigars, they drank whiskey mm. um, and they didn't talk about this. They went and did like, you know, worked and all that stuff. They never talked about emotions. We never explored emotions. They never told you it was safe to cry, to be vulnerable, to be open. And I think this is such a, a beautiful, like, I love, I love like where this conversation is heading. Cause this is such a, mm such an important thing that it's like uh, in in a society in today's society with men i think we're starting to open up this um gateway of vulnerability mm -hmm. and authenticity and understand what it means to be like healthy masculine and to, instead of like a toxic or unhealthy masculinity um and it's yeah where, where we're kind of stepping in is exciting and i think there's a lot that's yeah. going to be created from from this space but yeah that 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 connection that you kind of made i was like yeah resonated so much more with me as well because I was like, yeah, it's just sad that we never have those those role models, you know? Yeah. I I love I love that this has come up because this is this is one of my um yeah, I, I believe one of the most fascinating topics, particularly when starting your healing journey. Um, I, I believe there is a real, real significance in revisiting your childhood and revisiting um, the, the parenting and, and the role modeling and the modeling that was going on around us. And as you said, and and you know, this has been one of the key, key pillars for me when exploring this and something I've done for a long time is never searching or exploring these moments or, or those scenarios that you that you recall uh, from a place of blame. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's this yeah. whole acceptance phase of of understanding, and, and you know, the key sort of distinction with acceptance is is understanding that acceptance isn't agreeing, but accepting that something happened. And at the end of the day, um, you know, when I when I revisit any of my childhood or, or any of the parenting that occurred at that time, is understanding that my parents, just like all of our parents, did the best they could with the knowledge that they had. Um, and and at the end of the day, you know. Um, especially, especially when it comes to big emotions. I mean, like you said, I'm sure, you know, you and your brother um, created enough havoc in the household. That, yeah. uh, there were times where your mum was exhausted and at that point she's just going, shut up and shut let up. me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but also, you know, um, and, and this is one of the most fascinating things and, it, and it's, that, it's that whole generational trauma story of saying, you know, what, what was her conditioning at that point to step in the default mode of wanting to downplay that big emotion? I'm almost certain and, and, you know, without knowing, you know, your mum and, and, you know, without even knowing how my mother grew up or how my father grew up, I know for a fact that when they were younger, this was the conditioning that was passed forward onto them. And this was, uh, you know, again, a protective mechanism, one, by the parents in wanting to protect their children from what they thought was something that could be, you know, a danger to them, whether it was emotional, showing emotion, you know, as a boy in a schoolyard, they didn't want you to get bullied. They didn't want you to go through those experiences. But it, but it was also something that, you know, um, you know, was a was a story or was a model that they really had to form during their formative years. My parents I'm went sure. through and, and my grandparents went through significant, significant, um, you know, traumatic times through war, through poverty, through immigration. I know for my mother, that was one of the most difficult things she ever did in her life at 13 years old, leaving her family, all her mm. extended family behind and just coming along with her parents. I mean, we have an enormous amount of family in Spain, her closest uncles and aunties that she lived with, her grandparents, she left them all behind to move across. Now, um, as they're starting that life out, you know, her parents and, and, you know, uh, uh, and and herself, you know, emotion wasn't something um, or or showing emotion or being vulnerable or being able to talk about your emotions wasn't something that was necessary at the time. They were in protective states and they just had to get by and exist. So there was a reason that they did that and there was a, a particular service to them in order to play out those characteristics but the funny thing is now we're in a different life and either we continue to carry that baggage with us and continue to default mode that sort of same parenting pathways or we choose to say we're in a different life we don't have the same um we don't need the same levels of safety in the same particular ways. We are safe now to speak about our emotions. We're not running from bombs. We're not, um, you know, moving countries due to poverty and, and doing those things for the most you know, part for us. And now we have that opportunity to actually say those emotions are still there and, you know, we're able to step forward and heal them. Yeah. Oh, man, you, you, you like, thank beautifully mm-hmm. said. And you touched on such a interesting piece is generational trauma, generational conditioning, right? Um, to elaborate, can, can you actually elaborate a little bit more, firstly, on what you understand, your, your definition of generational trauma, generational conditioning? Yeah, definitely. Um, and and there's a, you know, there is a study on, on these sorts of things as in a, a particular mode of study. It's called epigenetics, and it's a study of how our uh, environment and actual behaviors impact our genes. And it mm. impacts our body's ability to read our genes. So the, the good thing is, it's it's the type of uh, type of DNA that's altered that we can actually reverse. But it certainly has an effect, and is certainly something that's passed on to our children. Now, um, you know, like I said, generally, generationally, um, uh, 
there was particular traumas and lifestyles that were lived through um, and certain needs to, you know, as we do for ourselves, as we form these stories in our young years, certain needs to protect ourselves. And, and you know, a lot of, a lot of this trauma uh, we respond to in ways to make sure we don't replicate. So we create stories and patterns in our mind in order to protect ourselves. Um, these become the, the key models of, you know, conditioning that might be passed on to our parents, our grandparents, um, and, and the default sort of parenting modes. And as they get older and don't challenge those beliefs or stories that perhaps were necessary and existed in the previous generation, uh, that becomes their default mode of parenting and that gets passed forward and forward. So, you know, um, you know, a hundred years ago, they said, uh, you know, man up, don't cry. And, you know, in my parents' generation, you know, they were told more or less the same thing. Eventually it starts getting, you know, downplayed a little bit, but just becomes, you know, to it's okay, calm down. It's okay, calm down. You know, I know that's something that Mm -hmm. we're exposed to a lot. Eventually it comes down to, you know, don't cry, come here, don't cry. And, you know, um, that that sort of uh, generational pattern continues to get passed forward, passed forward as as baggage that we choose to sort of take on or not. And, um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, you know, uh, th- there's some real sort of evidence that uh, some of that generational trauma can be passed forward up to seven generations. And um, wow. and a lot of those stories wow. and patterns get repeated and, uh, and you know, literally ingrained and formed within our DNA. So it becomes yeah. our, our story. Yeah. And, and I think it's so like us starting to create more awareness around when we do set an action, sometimes we might not realize why we're responding or feeling a certain emotion. And, and a one that I, I know at least I resonate with is like, is anger. Um, mm. I've, I, I do feel like there's been like, there's been times where I was like, where's a lot of this rage come from? And, and I've gone and, you know, done like looked into my childhood and trying to understand like, is there certain events or things that occurred and all that stuff. And sometimes I just, I've, I've noticed like this pattern of anger and depression has run within a lot of the males within my family, you know, mm. happened to my, it's happened with my brother. It's happened with my dad. It's happened with his dad. It's happened with his dad's dad. Like it, it, it's actually just, it climbs up. So it's so interesting because it's like, like I, I do believe like on that cellular level, like we were saying, it just gets passed on the gene level, but it's also these like, like that, that's the, um, uh, the, that kind of like cellular level, but even on a con- like patterns conditioning kind of level, those patterns, we don't even realize it just gets picked up. And it's yeah. like, oh, you respond this way. And, and it's like, you you know, my dad, I respond this way because of my dad. My dad responded this way because his dad. His dad responded this way because his dad. And it keeps going, right? And it's like those, those little parts, I was like, oh, wow. It's just the more you start becoming aware of it, then we can start changing that story, right? And and you kind of touched on this before when you were speaking about your mom and, and you, you, you know, that relationship that you were talking about with yeah. your mom. And you were kind of saying, like, she has, um, uh, uh, like, her feeling of the way she responded to you was because of her own upbringing like you know coming from you know being an immigrant coming from war-torn like you know that that Mm -hmm. kind of space right uh escaping and what she showed was like a lack of emotion because of that but yeah i i I think what i'm looking at is almost like that when you start realizing that that's her patterning what did that change for you or how did you start interpreting that to now go like Mm -hmm. okay i get that now now this is going to be my story that i want to change or rewrite yeah. It's it's funny, you know. We, we talk about um, uh, other people being mirrors, and and you know, particularly, I mean, it, it becomes it becomes uh, it can be a lot easier to see that within family as well, and start to explore the fact that um, you know they've had they've had their own 
um, environments, their own individual unique environments, perceptions and traumas and situations that they've had to evolve through and their brains in you know the same way ours do have created protective and safety mechanisms in order for them to cope. And that becomes their default mode. And you know once you start seeing the world from that perspective, you see everyone from the same boat that you're in, which is, you know, mm. um, uh, you know, tra- trauma, I know trauma is a really big word, but, you know, um, we are, you know, let's say just conditioned beings who have had our own experiences and we're all just trying to protect ourselves at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I, I think I can certainly see, you know, I, I, I really, I really believe I, I had a wonderful upbringing and, um, and, you know, most of what's occurred are really, um, you know, can be considered really minor things. I don't want to ever downplay, um, you know, what we consider minor, but in the grand context of things, you know, fairly minor things, but I understand those things that, you know, my body took in, you know, emotion is the primary language of our childhood. That's how we interpret the world and understand the world and just little things that might make us feel embarrassed or downplayed or, or whatever it is can have these really significant lifelong effects on us and, um, and starting to see the world from that space, you know, one of the really key examples I like to use is, um, is around big emotions. So, you know, we all have this instinct within us, you know, particularly, um, I know for parents, you know, a lot of sleepless nights in a row and everything like that. And the child's crying, you know, one, two, three-year-old child is, you know, throwing a tantrum or getting angry. You know, our instinct is to what is to, is to calm them down. Right. Is Correct. to, is, is to, is to sort of say, it's, it's okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Um, you know, again, these, um, where, where all we're doing is interpreting a big emotion the same way that we were offered safety over that big emotion as well. It's to downplay it. It's to bring it down because big emotion scares us. Big emotion is something, you know, even as children, you had a certain acceptable level of emotion. Be happy, laugh within a parameter as well. If it's being noisy at this point or if it's being loud or it's making a splash, that's a big emotion. Let's pull it down. Let's play it down that little bit. And there's a reason why when you see someone hysterical next to you or you see a child next to you, there's a reason why it triggers this response within us to sort of be like, you know, let's bring it yeah. down. How, how can we calm them down? How can we quickly give them the solution to help them feel better? Yeah. You know, as, whatever, whatever as opposed to like. As opposed to holding space, as opposed to being there and saying, this person is feeling an emotion rather than telling them, ways to not feel it rather than telling them ways to move past it why isn't the best way to just let them feel it because when when we get the chance to really feel our emotions it puts us back in a level of self-control it puts us back in a level of understanding what this emotion was and we can actually play it all the way through and by the end of it we might see that emotion came from this space that emotion came from this cause rather than trying to quickly problem solve and move past it when you're talking about this from the perspective of adults, I get this, right? Like it, it makes sense because you're like, I, 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 I want to talk a bit more on that holding space piece because yeah. there's a lot more into that when you yeah. dig it a little bit deeper. Yeah. But in in relation, you mentioned like as kids and all that stuff, like how could like say our parents hold space? Like they, like, like what, what, what do you see that space or how do you see that space being held? Like if you were to do say, you know, you were your mom and, and you know everything you know now, and you have a kid that is, you know, the new Miguel slash Michael. What, yeah, yeah how, do, how how would you hold space? And I'm just curious on that. And, and, and you know, it, again, there's no right or wrong in this. They yeah, did yeah, the yeah. right <laughs> thing with the knowledge they had in front of them. And absolutely, sure. you know, um, if, if we were throwing a tantrum at the end of the day, they wanted to protect us and they wanted to step in yeah. and make sure we were taken care of. And they did that in the best way they knew how. 
um, in hindsight, you know, uh, and, and, and looking at the research, the best way to sort of play this out again is the same thing is to hold space for them. It's to actually wow. let them know I'm here when you're ready. I'm here if you need a hug, if you need love, if you need space, whatever it is, you know, if your child is throwing a tantrum, sit next to them. Just let them know you are here. Let them play it out in any way. Don't try and calm them down. Don't try and hold them back. Don't try and do At the end of the day, they're experiencing a big emotion. Let them play it out. A lot of that anger stems from the inability to play out our emotions. Mm. Anger, anger builds as a result of harbored emotions. Anger builds yeah. because, you know, those emotions were downplayed let's let's calm it down let's pull it back let's get to that space and at the end of the day we start going like i'm feeling something you know being able to just sit there and not problem solve being able to sit there and and you know children can feel that energy um you know i i recall uh uh, with my niece you know um uh one of my nieces um when she was yeah i think I, i think you know she was probably entering that that terrible twos i hate that expression terrible twos sort of phase but she you know she was having a tantrum at, at the house and um and you know i i, I um she, she was sort of stuck on the wall banging against it and just you know i i sat there i literally sat there and i said to her i'm, I'm here when you're ready i'm here when you need a hug and i just sat there for 15 minutes every so often i reminded her i'm here i'm here when you need i'm here when you need and wow. it just kind of played out it just kind of played out calmly and eventually you know the emotions started calming down and um but there was already that conditioning that if she ran to my mum, she'd get exactly what she wanted. You know, grandmother at that point, of course, is always going to give her exactly what she wanted. And it kind of cut it off at that point. So we didn't get to play out the full experience. But, um, but, you know, that, 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 that was her, you know, that's what she did for us. She nurtured, you know, and that's, that's, that was her understanding of nurturing. And of course that was to help us out. It was to protect us. I'll give you whatever you need. You know, let's try and downplay that emotion. Understandably, because you know she never got the chance to play out her emotions but yeah. now that we understand you know the power in just holding space for someone and letting them feel it out oh, it's yeah, yeah it's, it's incredible and the two things I just want to touch on is one I love that you said that because uh, you, you said it a couple of times but it's like our parents did the best they could with the knowledge mm-hmm. they had and sometimes when you think your parents done the fucking worst job possible just remember that's like if you look at it from that perspective like they've done the best they know they can with the knowledge and their understanding and their upbringing and their experiences like someone said like if you if you were to put yourself completely in their shoes with their having lived their experiences you would act the same way you know what i mean and that's the part where you're like now though what we can do is as you know adults and you know um in the state we are now is then look back on this and actually go like okay what are what are we going to do to rewrite these stories to actually start now creating the space like like you said like you said space is such i love the word space but it can also be like one of those words that like people are like oh what the like what the hell does it mean to hold space <laughs> right um, and i want to tap into that a little bit more about how we can start creating a bit more space but just space in general it's like yeah like even sometimes creating space for your parents like our parents didn't get the love and like you know like we're saying like mm. the experiences they had even the view of safety and the fact that the safety for them is making sure that like we have food food and shelter right yes. whereas now for us we're no longer and i'm you know maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of looking like perspective i'm looking at this at where a lot of our generation i would say is like at that self-actualization you know what i mean like who we are what's our impact what's our purpose and all that but it's like our parents they operated from like the very low like high, like the, those very low needs which is like the foundations and the essentials one which is also why they don't have i think of like you know being a little bit more restrictive uh, not all, but like, you know, for me and you and, and our lived experiences, our parents were a little bit more restrictive in that emotion setting, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 
that that's a yeah that, that so that was one kind of aspect the other the other part i kind of wanted to talk a little bit more on was when we talk about space i love how you said you held space for your your niece and you're like you wanted to see it play out how can we you know as a society start holding more space for each other and what does it mean for you when it it, it to be held yeah because there's 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 a, a tricky one with this Mm. definitely ties it to masculine feminine uh, energies as well energy. for sure. yeah and and it can mean something different for everyone obviously but uh but the the you know the broader sort of spectrum of that is uh you know i i refer straight to the problem solving trap our ability to sort mm. of want to fix a situation immediately um you know my wife and I, Chloe and I talk about this quite a lot. Um, and, you know, it, it, it only sort of starts to evolve, particularly in partnerships through really open communication, as well as a certain level of self-awareness. So that, that's, I think that for me, that's the really hard part is being able to identify in a moment. And it's amazing. There has been times where, where I have noticed it and, and it, it is amazing. It's fantastic when you can step into that moment and say, okay, right now I'm having a bad day. I need someone just to empathize with me, you know, mm. and, and, you know, even, even my wife is a psychologist, hypnotherapist, there's no one that holds space better than her, but that's, you know, there are times where she will, you know, it's, it's her husband, she will step in at times and go, okay, well, what can we do to sort of step forward and move forward? And at the end yeah. of the day, I've just wanted the chance to feel my emotions. So I just yeah. want to sit there and I just want to complain about it a little bit. And, you know, I've, I know sometimes I've actually almost gotten angry because I haven't been able to express that myself or understand that yeah. myself. And I'm, and I'm sort of resisting her giving me the easiest fix that's in front of me. And, and you know, definitely um, I, I think this certainly plays out with the masculine is something that I generally offer back. And a lot of men offer back to their wives is like, I've got the answer for you. You know, why aren't you listening? Like, let me <laughs> fix this for you. I know what I know to, to say. Fix I know this. what yeah. to do. Yeah, but yeah. realistically, you know, in a, in a lot of, and it's not always, some situations call for, you know, a, an immediate sort of problem solve, being able to be open and honest in communication to be able to understand, you know, and obviously that that's uh, uh, self-awareness and understanding yourself, what it is that you're asking for in that moment. Um, but, you know, we'll often say to each other, okay, what, what do you need from me at the moment in a really kind and open space sort of way? And if I can give myself that moment to tap in and say, hmm, what is it that I do? I need an answer right now or do I just need someone to sort of just hold some space for me, let me feel emotion and not feel like I need to rush through to an answer or, you know, to actually just feel it. You know, a lot of us come home from that heavy day of work and it's like, oh, and this happened and, you know, now I'm stressed and I'm supposed to have done this project by, by this time. And you're aware, you, you you go to work every day, you're aware of what needs to happen in order for you to get back, you know, and, and do what you need to do. And you're aware that you just need to do some of it. But in that moment, do you need someone to tell you that or do you need someone to say, that sucks, you know? Validation, I, I think, has been um, really uh, one of the most um, wonderful uh, techniques I've discovered in, in you know, um, active listening and, and um, being with someone who just needs to feel something. You know, I, I, um, I had a career for 11 years in medical claims management, um, uh, dealing with people who had very severe uh, transport accident injuries, severe brain and spinal injuries. And, um, you know, a, a lot of us come into it with this mentality and this script of how we can help someone work through a problem. And once I discovered for myself, not something that was discovered, you know, that the company ob obviously advised us to do, but once I discovered for myself that a lot of my clients just needed to be heard, 
just needed to be validated and not have a solution given in front of them, the relationships just just change significantly. You know, yeah. some of us just need to be heard. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love that word validation because I was like, mm. even if you think about arguments, you have like uh, arguments I've had with my wife and stuff. We like, and, and this is like, it's, it's definitely a little sidetrack here, but it's like we, you know, we we put in a lot of effort into our relationship and one thing that we do is have like these uh, bricks conversations and the way we kind of look at this is the bricks conversation is purely a um you know when when you have te- when tension in a relationship builds up it's like putting an invisible brick in the bedroom and it's like you, every, the more you don't talk about this and you just let it fester and all that you just add layers and layers and layers off this brick before you know it you've got this huge invisible wall that you're wondering why we always fighting this often or why is there you know l- less intimacy in the bedroom why is there a disconnection why do i not feel like i can communicate or do i feel heard or validated or understood mm-hmm. um and why i say this is then like part of this is now and we do this as like a weekly ritual um when we talk about this we actually had to set boundaries in place for uh for this because a big part of doing this bricks conversation is creating the right space for it. And when I say space, this is where I was like, space actually for me, and this this gave me, this actually really helped me with understanding space a lot and holding space for others. But it's like space meant not judging that person, right? Or putting any expectations on them speaking or sharing or anything like that. Space meant for me that that person had, uh, that I had to actually manage my own energy and know that before I even come to that space, where am I at? Am I, am I feeling like I kind of say, like, am I feeling well-rested? Am I feeling well-fed? Am I feeling relaxed and calm? Or have I come off a busy day at work and my temper is very short? Like, am I any, like you know, I, I know I'm like on the edge, ready to snap or something. Am I coming where I've just had an argument with someone else that I'm just feeling enraged? Or am I coming feeling depressed or like, you know, frustrated with something else? So that piece of actually understanding your own energy before you come to that space is so important that people, like they skip that. They're like, oh, I'll hold space for this person. And, and they go to the like you know the immediate validation and things like that but they when they're not aware of their own energy I feel like that's where you like that that space can implode on itself very quickly uh, without being aware of that so it's like that that one thing was actually said so so we're sort of saying like set the right boundaries and stuff in place for that creating uh, being aware of your own energy in that sp- sort of space then what we do is when the one person shares the other person has to actively listen and mm-hmm. when we say actively listen for me, my my definition understanding of that is like you listen without interruption and then you repeat back how that other person is feeling right but you're communicating obviously from this point of feeling not like a a frustration but it's like okay cool so what you're feeling is this 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 and this is that correct awesome once you repeat back that helps with the validation piece and then that last piece on top of it is then what do you need from me what can i do to help you you know and and what, now, like I said, that is a tangent going into the bricks thing, but there were so many things because that that helped me really create the foundation for like holding space. Because now when it comes to holding space, there are times, like you said, like like say if I'm holding space for someone, right? Whether it's a man or a woman or my family or a friend or whatever the case may be, it's actually just like creating that space and just leaving it as a container, not trying to fix. And you were so right. It's a default in our makeup that you know uh, especially like i know for me it's definitely i, I blame disney movies um because <laughs> disney movies always taught me damsel in distress you heal that i blame yeah. my dad for also playing into the damsel in distress and always like, he's he's the first to jump out and try to fix something if you know uh, uh someone is needing a hand he's like you know they're like that um but i have also understood for myself that it's like wait that like our job is not to give that person a hand our job is to hold the space to see what that person needs because they have the strength they have the wisdom they have the knowledge they have the power within them our job is to help nurture that and give them the space to 
allow for that to, fe- uh, to, 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 to build, to manifest. But yeah, those, those are kind of been like what I realized, like that holding space piece was for me. And that is where it's like now when I come into conversations, I'm so much more aware of that. And when I start feeling triggered, I actually need to cut the conversation off then, right? Because it's like, it's also on us to go like, oh, if I'm holding space, but then something someone's saying is actually upsetting me and I'm getting frustrated. Like, and, and what you said is what I've experienced many times where you're like, sometimes you're like, oh, like say, you know, my, 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 my wife uh, might be um, going through this, uh, an emotion that she's gone and played out multiple times and she knows it's like she's telling herself the wrong stories and all this stuff but then sometimes even when i'm holding space i'll jump in i'm like no you know you shouldn't be doing and then i go into aggressive (laughs) but the funny thing every freaking time i jump into that default mode of like fixing it right like that 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 inherent mode of fixing it it never works it never plays out the way i wanted to i'm never like oh that was a freaking great conversation (laughs) check well now we can uh, sleep happy and uh, yeah Fix that one again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the back up. Part of the back. Very well done. So it's like it's so funny, but it's like like that. So that's why I started like that. That was also a good um feedback loop for me because it also helped me understand going like, hey, Kyle, you're not getting the response you want by holding space with like, you know, uh trying to fix it. Right? You know, holding space and then trying to fix it. Whenever I just hold space and I literally surrender to what's happening and I like I said really just listen and feedback to them. And uh, like I said, validate. I love that word validate, validate the feelings. Mm-hmm then like straight up, like, you know, it may be hours or sometimes maybe a day later or something, my wife will come back and just be like, thank you so much. Like, I really yeah. appreciated that. That was absolutely amazing. That's what I needed, you know? Um, but yeah, it's definitely a delicate balance, man. That That is, that is absolutely brilliant. I, and, and, you know, I, honestly, it, it is one of the hardest things in the world to do. And I think, um, you know, again, it comes back to that topic of, Self-love is not selfish because at the end of the day, um, in order to really be there for your partner and be able to offer them space, uh, you really need to start becoming self-aware of your energy and your emotions um, in, a, in any moment as well and be prepared to quickly dissect um, what sort of energy you're coming from and try and understand, you know, um, you know open communication helps and if your partner can obviously um, uh, you know, be able to communicate what it is that they're needing from you at the time. It, it can help you reset. Uh, mm. But, but you know, it's incredible how stepping into someone's situation, how much you need to quickly explore yourself or take a moment to explore yourself and understand where you're at in order yeah. to give them that best bit of support. And, um, you know, it's sometimes problem solving is so much easier. Like sometimes coming up with a solution to their problems is so much easier than <laughs> understanding that, okay, I want this over with and I don't want them playing that big emotion in front of me either. So I'm going to try and resolve this as soon as possible. Uh, But actually going, okay, reset myself here. What is it, you know, if I was in their shoes, what is it they would need from me and what is it that I need from them and how do we we give them the exact space to play that out? Um, It's beautiful, yeah. You've mentioned the, the idea of like, okay, this is, it makes sense, the holding space piece. How do you, how do we start inviting people to be more vulnerable? to be more open because that's something like and it's funny how we've gone down this tangent of the whole conversation but i love this because i was like that's one of the hardest things like i was like it took me a long time myself to like come up to the fact of like being opened up and all that and when i try to look back on that journey i was like look i was lucky that i had the influence of my partner who was who was very much so tapping into this area of like being more authentic and all that stuff and then i just started naturally i felt like the men the right men started getting pulled towards me you being one of those you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, men who came to like the ser- like the serendipitous nature that how we met and how that kind of just flowed onto all the healing we've done together 
that just opened me up and, and then more men started coming in with that like of going like wanting to be more open and having that safe space how do you yeah how, how can we foster stuff like that like i'm just um it's always been something that i was like i want to foster more of but you know i've I, there's been many a times where I'll, I'll open up the door gateway or the door and I'll be like hey i'm here man like i'm here to whoever is boy or girl doesn't matter i'm like here to talk this is what it is and all that stuff and there'll be times where they'll open up with certain things but then other times where it's like they they really love and appreciate that but that's it it it, it kind of ends there you know so how do you foster yeah. more and and I I think you've more or less nailed uh, the explanation in the question, so I'll expand <laughs> on it a little bit. But but you know we are we are very fortunate. I always consider ourselves very fortunate in that respect. That um that you know we, we have partners that ha- have an you know innate natural ability in order to to hold that safe supportive space and and perhaps you know already being people who perhaps had um had a, a pathway or an opening into our own emotions all we needed was that little bit of space or love or understanding that helped really foster that and obviously starting our own healing journey that only grew when it comes to um uh you know our, our, our friends and our family and the space around us you know exactly what you said it's it's all within our own energy it's amazing how um you know and <laughs> A lot of people in our position will will sort of, you know, say, oh, you know, everyone kind of comes to me with their problems. Everyone, I know a lot of people that, you know, sort of say everyone comes to me with their problems. And that was one thing that I sort of felt. I, I you know, found a lot of people sort of, why would they always come to me for, you know, I don't want to get in the middle of everything, but they'd always come to me for advice or they'd always come to me to talk. And the understanding or, or what I sort of, you know, took from that was that it was because I was offering a space for them to talk. Um, mm. they knew they knew the more comfortable I was and you know it, it wasn't a matter of you know stepping into someone's house and being like hey here's all my problems but being more open with your own sharing and vulnerability mm. it's amazing you know particularly in the yeah. company of men particularly yeah. Um, yeah. you know one-to-one I find um, um, being vulnerable it's amazing how more likely they are to dip into their own space and and that's that's part of the story that showed me that um you know we are emotional beings and people do generally want to talk about it it's just whether they have the space to do so um and and providing that energy or providing that space to another person and and just not stepping into solution focus for them but providing in the active listening and occasionally saying hey that sucks like you know it's amazing it's amazing what that can offer another person um, especially someone who doesn't you know who, who may not get that in many other spaces no, I totally agree. Like paving, uh, like the way we can actually start cultivating more of this or creating more of this vulnerability in conversations and all this by us leading the way. And I think you, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you kind of hit it on the head. Us leading the way, one, it's through our actions, our beliefs, our voice. But then two, I think is the, the flip side of like, we also be, you, you need to start becoming more and more masters of holding space because like you said, I think the more you hold that space, then like as you keep leading and all that, people will naturally, I think, gravitate towards going and filling the space in a good way, but like in like, you know, letting their their stuff spill out so they can feel held and feel supported. You know, so I think no, that's no one wants to, no one wants to feel judged at the end of the day. And and if you can offer a space where people feel they can open up without judgment, without criticism, without answers, without, you know, but just a space where they can sort of feel safe and supported because, you know, I I think innately that's that's our um that's our, uh, you know, need in our human experience is to feel love, is to feel safe and feel supported. And, and yeah. you know, if you're providing a space for people to dip into that, I mean, 
well, you know, I'm, I'm going to gravitate towards you. And you know, that's something yeah, yeah, I think yeah. uh, we, like you said, <laughs> well, we that's managed what's to happened already, quite yeah. quickly. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think the both of us were just straight into like our, our emotional side, our vulnerability yeah, yeah. side. I was like, oh man, you know, like I, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to Carl. Yeah, no, no, no. We definitely, that, that was one thing I was so <laughs> thankful for. And like you said, like, I am so grateful for that. We were able to find each other and dip into that energy of like, yeah, we can support each other. We can be masculine and manly men, you know, when we need to. But then we like, re. Uh, what I actually loved is that we, we started redefining what it meant to be a mas- to be a man, but redefining what masculine energy was, like healthy masculine energy. Now, I know we can go deeper into this, but I, I want yeah. to kind of switch a little bit and kind of just look at your, in the last kind of six, 12 months, when, as you've kind of been moving towards this now, you know, doing holistic life and nutrition coaching and all that stuff, you've done a lot of work on yourself. I know you, and you're constantly like this. It seems like it's like a, um, a forever journey, right? That you just like, and it's more just like, it's, it's not like you're broken. And I don't think you ever look at yourself as broken. It's that, uh, what was it? It's like the, um, um, self-love is at the intersection of I'm enough. I can do better. And I release that, which does not serve me, you know? Mm -hmm. And when we kind of look at it from those kind of aspects, I know that you do see yourself as enough and all that, but there is always that stretch of like, I can do better. And a lot still releasing things that you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was still there. You know, like it, it sometimes takes those triggering uh, emotions or triggering actions to make us realize like, oh, there's that little bit of shit there <laughs> that or baggage there, so to speak. Better, better, <laughs> yeah. uh, better to say it that way. Baggage there that is, uh, you know, playing on us. What's been the, the most recent uh, kind of things that you've been working through and what's led you to do now? this coaching side of things and why you've kind of feel like, because I do feel like it's kind of come whole rounded now to you and like your beautiful energy that you give. I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. But what led you to this or how did it all come together? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all sort of start to realize that it is a bit of an exhaustive process because, um, because you, it's amazing how often you revisit the same default patterns and pathways, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was conditioning, it was 20, 30 years, whatever your, you know, whenever you started your journey of, of conditioning, of modeling and of, um, really understanding the world in your perspective. And after, you know, after 25, um, most of those default mode networks in our brain really get consolidated and, uh, and you know um, in order to find safety and find love we default down those those pathways and and naturally um if they've formed a, a safety mechanism for us for 20 30 years they're going to you know still be present there and, and rewiring those is going to take some time and effort and that has been a realization for me more recently as well as you said so you know the the last 11 years after after working you know in alternative health and myotherapy i had to pay off some bills so to speak and and moved into you know government work and medical claims management but um but uh, I did that for 11 years. And, and a few years ago with my wife, we started uh, started Mindfully Loved as a school psychologist. She, um, she just realized there was more that we could be doing in supporting uh, children. And, and we're very passionate about supporting the future generations um, in, in um, you know, being... Uh, uh, being more self-loving, being more resilient. Part of my own journey has really inspired the passion for that. Um, mm. And as we continue to, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when your vocation really starts supporting the healing and growth journey that you're on and you start, ex, you know, um, creating this environment around you where you're constantly exploring these, uh, these topics, you start to realize that um, there's more I can be doing for myself and that that really sort of amplified our healing journey and it led me down the pathway of, of saying um, uh, there's more ways I can offer offer my service and offer myself and there's more ways I can help continue even 
to grow myself. And, you know, that turned into a holistic life nutrition um, coaching uh, course that I was, yeah, doing the last couple of years and, um, and, you know, really deciding to make that huge call and give ourselves the break away from where we were. And, um, and yeah, you know, as you know, unfortunately packed up and left Melbourne and, and moved overseas for a period of time to uh, try and grow this online um, uh, digital entrepreneurship business, you know, whatever you want to call yeah, it, yeah. nomadic lifestyle and build our own businesses and, and try and see what we can create for ourselves. And, and part of that was, uh, yeah, it was me realizing that I, I, I deserved a little bit more and I wanted a little yeah. bit more from my life and I wanted some freedom and flexibility that allowed me to do the things that I love doing. And, and, um, and yeah, you know, these courses and, 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 uh, the business and, and the work that we're doing was just something that really helped me continue my journey. You know, the, the things that we learnt and the things that I was learning through both the business and the course were, um, helping me continue dip back into, um, into my own journey and realizing that the journey is never ending. You know, we, we constantly yeah. remind ourselves that we're not on this pathway to perfection. Perfection is unattainable. It's not what we're striving to achieve, but rather this continual growth pattern and continually learning more and more about ourselves. You know, my favorite, my favorite, uh, my Angelou quote, when we know better, we do better. And, um, yeah. and you know, why not, uh, con- con- you know, continually surround ourselves in an environment that's encouraging us to, to grow and, and do better and offer ourselves better. And, you know, um, yeah, de- deeply passionate about being able to support others. I, I know, I know the impact um, uh, other people had in my life as I was progressing through my own sort of difficulties and troubles and they provided a platform at the end of the day, you know, yeah. I'm the one that did the work and, and, you know, uh, you only sort of get out of it what you put in. And, and, um, but, you know, if, if, if I can play a role for someone in, in, in anyone's life that helps them progress and move forward into a state of change, which is going to be, you know, their own journey moving forward from that point, then brilliant, you know, let's yeah. do it. How can we help? How, how, how did you know, that that was aligned because like you said you did like myotherapy before you worked in government side of things with claims what what made this feel more aligned like what 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 because like it's it, it can be a bit challenging and and you've got some great experience and stuff like that and obviously like you said the foundations you've built have led you to this but like yeah what 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 made, what made this feel right over the other things and I, I not to say you can't change but i mean like right now why is this feeling right yeah, it, it was um, it was definitely something that calls out to me or resonates the most with me because my life has been a holistic, <laughs> fully encompassing emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental journey, and mm. I could not have continued to progress and grow and be in the mental state that I'm in now without having explored all those avenues. And this was a course, or or this was a, a pathway, I guess that that offered me the chance to continue to sort of grow myself in that place and also gave me a path to uh, understanding where perhaps my niche or my abilities might lie. It felt a very natural instinctual progression. And, you know, by chance it was actually um, a, a few years ago, we we're doing Tony Robbins UPW course and it was a, a four day course and we we're feeling very uh, engaged and very motivated at the time. And as as things do when you're open and prepared to listen and look, um, man, this course just like dropped in my lap, um, <laughs> literally dropped in my lap. Uh, my wife came across it and I was looking at the time to find 
my sort of space or niche within our business yeah. um, that that I could sort of hold a hat to, and um, and that popped up, and just from the second I saw it, I, I like there was no doubt. We didn't even discuss it. Like it was, uh, dropped That's the money, it. paid for it, just got straight into it. And I'm like, this yeah. is exactly where I want to be, and, and and it was just a very instinctual, natural progression. And I, I think that this is a good good note to kind of end end things off. But it's um, that reflection that we're kind of talking about, right? Like we're kind of saying how your external world is a reflection of your internal world. And for mm. you, I think with everything doing that you've done going inwards within yourself and stuff like that, this has actually opened up. Like, and I, I just feel like the universe starts supporting you in these magical ways when you start doing this and you're, you're like, you like, I always find like, it's like, you got to go inwards to go onwards. Obviously name of the podcast, right? TM. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I say it in the sense of, I was like, yeah, like it's like whenever you do that work in the internal environment, how the heck does the external magically changes so quickly and starts drawing in exactly what you need to keep pushing on that same alignment, you know? And, and that's why I love that you've, you've shared that. Cause I was like, yeah, all this work that you've done, the fact that the course came up, I'm like, that's just divine. That's divine timing. That is like, here you are, mate, because you are ready for it. The universe is like, we're ready for you. You're ready for it right now. You know? So yeah, yeah that's beautiful. And, and, and trust is a huge factor in that. And, and yeah. trusting also that, that, you know, when, when you are open, you are open to receiving whatever it is, uh, the, 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 next mission the journey the challenge whatever it is you know removing the expectation of what is good and what is bad and just understanding that whatever the challenge is that's surfacing in front of you is your natural progression to the next step and if you can go the path of least resistance feel your way into it accept and uh and and just learn to let go when you need to let go that that whole impermanent story i mean you you, you're going to be on the pathway that you need to be on and um yeah you know um uh self-reflection inwards and onwards man like that's, that's hey, the path. i love that and, and on that lovely note miguel thank you again mate it's a absolute honor and pleasure having you and yeah till, till next time man we'll leave it there uh, <laughs> oh, and and let there be a next time i, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love chatting with you and uh yeah i, I look forward to the next time we get to catch up i, I really appreciate you brother yeah, appreciate you man If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you know someone who needs to hear this on their own journey, share it with them. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to go inwards and onwards, my friend.